It is good to see you this morning in the Lord's house. You know, when we were unsaved, the idea of coming to a place of worship and uh, spending your hour or an hour and a half or so on a Sunday morning in a church building, it was the most foreign thing from your mind. In fact, it was downright boring. You didn't want to come, and many times kids were dragged by their parents here, and I've got to go to church again, and so on. And those memories or those thoughts, they are very real. But then something happened when we have come to know the Lord Jesus as our Savior. Something changed. And the change part is that now we have a desire to worship the Lord. We have a desire to come and praise Him. And that's why we have gathered today. And of course, the foundation, one of the key factors of that has to do with the hymn we're going to open with today, number 417, Behold the Amazing Gift of Love. And to dwell on the love of Christ for these very unlovely souls of our own, well, it is a great marvel that we are surrounded and enveloped in the love of Christ. And that gives us meaning to life. It gives us a reason to live and to get up in the morning, and most definitely gives us a reason to come to the house of God in the morning, in the evening, on the Wednesday prayer meeting, every time the doors are open and the Word of God is open. But maybe, maybe, believer, this morning, you don't really have that joy I'm talking about. You don't really have that real desire to come to worship the living and true God. Maybe some coldness has set in. Maybe some distance between us and the Lord. Well, the thing to do, you're here, you're watching online, and now what we need to do is to pray, Lord, breathe upon me afresh. Breathe upon me with the air, the breath of the Holy Spirit, so that my heart will be warmed and the flame will be enlarged of our love and worship for Christ. Because when the Lord gives that to us, then there is indeed joy, anticipation. There is expectation when we come to meet with our Lord that He is not ever going to disappoint us. So, enough words in preamble. Let us join our hearts and our souls as we stand to worship. Behold the amazing gift of love. 417.
Let's still our hearts, please, now and come before the Lord in prayer and seek his face. Father, with joy and with expectation, we bow this morning at the beginning of our worship service. And Lord, we do not come in any name of our own or of institution or denomination, for that avails nothing. Lord, we come today in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and on the ground of all his merit, all the value of his atoning sacrifice. And Lord, today we enter in with thanksgiving and with worship from our hearts. O oh God, we pray that the Holy Spirit will come this morning and, Lord, we will be helped, we'll be enabled, we will be strengthened with might in the inner man. Lord, enabled to enter in with joy and with worship in our hearts and to realize, Lord, that the very reason there is a desire to come today is because, Lord, your sovereign grace laid hold upon us. And we were taken out of the darkness and depth of our sin. And we have been planted. We have been set upon the rock, Christ Jesus. And Lord, the seed of the Word planted in our hearts has germinated and brought forth fruit. And Lord, we desire today that that fruit will be continually, constantly flourishing, growing to be that which honors our blessed Lord Jesus. Dear Father, today I pray that every heart redeemed would enter in with the love of Christ and the joy, the anticipation of worship, ready to receive from the Holy Spirit words of encouragement, words of direction, words where necessary of rebuke. And dear Father, stamp the Holy Scriptures upon our hearts and help us to walk in the fear and love and honor of our Lord Jesus. Dear Father, we know there are many pitfalls, there are many temptations the devil would set against us, many discouragements. And Father, it may be that one of your children today is cast down Perhaps the heart is overwhelmed or burdened with many griefs or problems or other issues that have come in. Lord, I pray today that they will all be swept away, uh, that the joy and the blessing and the peace of God will flood into all our hearts. Lord, don't let any one of your children be on the outskirts of blessing this morning. Dear Lord, reinforce into our hearts the precious promises that we have in Christ Jesus. And Father, as they have been given to us so freely and abundantly from the Scripture, we have no excuse, Lord. We have no reason to set them aside, but we have every reason to take them to our heart with strength and power. And so therefore, Lord, place us under the light. 
of Holy Scripture. Help us to receive with joy the engrafted Word into our hearts, that we will mix the Word of God with faith so that we will grow thereby. Lord, hear our prayer this morning. We have gathered in your house to worship and to offer prayer and praise. We are going to be meeting, Lord, around your table at the end of this meeting, and we pray that we will be very conscious of the Spirit's presence as we worship our Lord Jesus and think again and remember afresh of the great cost of Calvary and the sacrifice that He made on our account. Lord, we pray today that for all of those who have very critical, serious bodily issues, health matters, pour out Your blessing upon them. Remember Calvin Golliher today. We pray with thanksgiving for his recovery from surgery, and we pray, Lord, that he will know a speedy healing. We ask for blessing upon others, set aside, aged, infirmed, elderly, that, that it cannot be out at the house of God. Lord, bless them this morning and encourage them and strengthen them. And Father, we pray also earnestly for those who are unsaved, whether they are from a Sunday school, the youngest boys and girls, bring them to Christ at an early age. And those that have grown up through Sunday school, maybe, Lord, but they have never come through to the Lord. They have never cast themselves and their life in repentance and faith in Christ. Lord, do that before this day goes out into eternity. Save souls, we pray, of those who come into our church from the community. Lord, we've been praying for that. We want to see our neighbors and friends brought in under the Word of God to be presented with Christ and the reality of who He is. Lord, do that, we pray. And what about, Lord, those watching online today? We cannot see them. We don't know who they are. But, Lord, You know each one. And I pray that they will come under conviction of sin and they'll be brought to faith in the Lord Jesus. So, Father, hear our prayer today. Fill us with the joy of the Lord and write the Scriptures on our hearts. Hear our prayer. Lord, we remember those believers who are persecuted in far-off places and even near home. We know that in some families where a young person professes faith in Christ, they are literally rejected from their family. Father, comfort their hearts, we pray today, and bless them and help them. So, Lord, pour out Your grace in every way, in every place that we have need. We ask all these things today in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let's sing again to the Lord's praise, Psalm 1. If you're using our hymnal, you'll find the psalms at the back of our book. We'll stand, please, as we continue in our worship.
please turn now to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off, out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The Lord bless his word to our hearts today as we have read from well, perhaps the one of the most, if not the most, Old Testament descriptive prophecies of our Lord's suffering 
on Calvary. Such an interesting point because as Isaiah is inspired by the Spirit to write that, he is first of all pitching it from the standpoint of those who had no concern of Christ, of the Messiah, no desire for Him, only seeing Him as an object. Ah, but then in the fourth verse, things changed because we then are drawn to say, surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We then had a connection with Him. We then saw the Lord in a different light altogether. One day we were in darkness in our sin, but then by sovereign grace the Lord got hold of us and brought us to Himself, and that was the change. And now we see that He was stricken and spitten of God for us. And when we see the Lord Jesus in that light, believer, do you not love Him with a greater intensity? Do you not love Him as never you've loved anything before? Ah, yes. That's what the gospel does to us. That's what saving grace does to us. And that's how we can say that we love Him because He first loved us. Well, we welcome you this morning in person and online to our morning service. We're very glad that you're here, and we pray that God would encourage and strengthen your hearts. And if you're visiting here today in person for the first time, or maybe you've come back, you're very, very welcome, and we pray that God would bless you and encourage your heart Please remember, continue to remember in your prayers, Calvin Golliher, the son of the Reverend Ian Golliher. And Calvin came through a very serious surgery this past Monday. And he, it was a 12-hour surgery. And by God's grace, he has been brought through and is recovering. He will be in the hospital for at least a month, a week or so but remaining in Toronto uh, for at least a month. His whole family has joined him here from California, and we want to remember the whole family, Ian and Beulah, also in prayer that God would watch over them and help them at this time. And we know our brother Maurice, uh, suffering from a broken arm, is still recovering from that, and uh, we pray uh, for Maurice. We know that others needing have come through cancer treatment and are recovering from that. Remember our, our brother Glenn McFarland also in your prayers and others in our congregation. Well, we remember them all and we are thankful that some are here with us this morning and we pray for them. Remember, please, the ministry that's going on today and this week in our congregation. First of all, this evening at 5.50, we have our pre-service prayer time in the fellowship room. Uh, if you're coming to the evening service and we encourage you to do that, well, come a half hour earlier and be in the fellowship room and join with us in prayer as we seek God for His blessing upon our services. And then the evening meeting at 6.30 tonight. Tuesday of this week at 6 and 7.30 will be our session and board meeting. We've moved it ahead by a couple of days, and it will be Tuesday of this week. But then Wednesday, our Bible study and prayer time at 7.30. And please plan to be in attendance, if at all possible, 
And if not, join us online for our very important Wednesday meetings. Next Lord's Day, our Bible classes at 9.45 and morning and evening services 11 and 6.30. And next Lord's Day, uh, Reverend Ian Golliher will be preaching the Word at both services. And uh, they were sometime, they were for a couple of months down in California with their son Calvin and the family before Calvin came up here for that surgery uh, this past Monday. And I know that Brother Gallagher will likely give you an update uh, next Lord's Day of, on the condition of his son and much appreciation for uh, your prayers. Well, as you know, last Lord's Day we, in the morning, we recognized and uh, we're happy to have Dorothy Bodner with us. And we were able to open the Bodner Memorial Library downstairs. It is a reference library. Well, this morning we can inform you that our own takeout library, uh, which has been on the second floor for many years, but it seemed to fall into a little disrepair uh, over some period of time and all through COVID and all of that. Anyways, well, we want to thank Mrs. Nagwa Manir. She has been working very hard the last uh, couple of months to get our library completely reorganized and set up. And so it is ready uh, today anyone who wants to go up and look at the books and it's you are able to take out now there are some books up in that library that are also referenced that are sets of commentaries and so on but there are a host of other excellent reading material and if you would like to peruse the library after the morning service after the evening service maybe on a prayer meeting night you're welcome to do that and the instructions will be there as to what you have to do to sign out a book and then be sure that you return it again. When I was over in Theological Hall in Northern Ireland, they had a theological library that was quite extensive. And uh, in the room where it was located, there was a large sign posted, Thou shalt not steal. Well, you would wonder, and I thought, do theological students have to be told and reminded about that commandment? Well, they had lost a great number of books over the years, and so they felt, yes, it was necessary to remind people, this is a library that you borrow from. You do not take from it. And that's the same that we have upstairs. We might post that same sign, thou shalt not steal, but thou shalt borrow. And that's all right. But of course, borrowing doesn't mean for like five, ten years. It means borrowing for a couple of weeks or maybe a month or something like that. Anyway, you get the idea. We want to encourage you to read, encourage you to familiarize yourself with the value, the great value of history and of biography and of very important uh, reading material so you're able to look at that. As the Lord has blessed you with your uh, bounty and we bring our tithes and our offerings into the Lord for the work of God here, for the missionaries that we support, for our presbytery, for our seminary, uh, many of those things. Your tithes and offerings go to assist all of those things, and we appreciate the sacrifice that you give. The offering um, boxes are on the wall out in the foyer. There are envelopes out there as you have in your habit, and the regular folks in our church, they are giving the, the Lord regularly. But if you haven't entered in yet, to the joy 
of giving to the Lord. Don't rob yourself of that, but give your tithes and offerings unto Him. The Lord tells us in the New Testament that He loves a joyful giver. He loves one who gives hilariously unto God. And so let us give bountifully to Him because the Lord has blessed us also bountifully. We're going to sing again number 153. Behold the Savior on the cross. Let's stand as we sing. I'd like you to turn with me, please, now to the book of Lamentations, chapter 1. Lamentations is the small book that follows immediately after the prophecy of Jeremiah.
You will see that our communion table has been set today, and we, after this service, will gather around the table to remember our Lord's death. And if you are not a believer, well, you don't have to leave the service, but we ask you not to take the bread or the juice that is passed around and also say one little thing in a practical manner. Last time we had communion, uh, we were trying a new little piece of bread or biscuit, and it was something different than what you might have been used to, and uh, we're trying that one more time, but you let the elders know uh, which you prefer, whether it is that or the bread that we were using before, and you can just let them know about that. The book of Lamentations, uh, chapter 1, as you can tell by the very title, uh, the prophet Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. His heart was really overwhelmed with the prophecy that he had to speak to God's people. And certainly in this opening chapter, it is no different because of the circumstance that had befallen the city of Jerusalem. Listen very carefully. How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How is she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces, how is she become tributary? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers she hath none to comfort her, all her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. The way of Zion, the ways of Zion do mourn because none come to the solemn feast. All her gates are desolate, her priests sigh, her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries are the chief, her enemies prosper, for the Lord hath afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. And from the daughter of Zion, all her beauty is departed. Her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture. They are gone without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembered in the days of her affliction and of her miseries all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old when her people fell into the hand of the enemy and none did help her, the adversaries saw her and did mock at her Sabbaths. Jerusalem hath grievously sinned, therefore she is removed. All that honored her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sigheth and turneth backward, her filthiness is in her skirts. She remembereth not her last end. Therefore she came down wonderfully. She had no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, 
for the enemy hath magnified himself. The adversary hath spread out his hand upon all her pleasant things, for she hath seen that the heathen entered into her sanctuary, whom thou didst command that they should not enter into thy congregation. All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their pleasant things for meat to relieve the soul. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am become vile. Is it nothing to you? All ye that pass by, behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, with the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. We're going to be thinking today in our services about verse 12, where the prophet cries out, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by, behold, and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Let's bow together, please, in prayer. Father, hear our prayer today. Settle us now before the open Scripture. We pray, blessed Holy Spirit, to come and take these things and point us to the Lord Jesus and reveal the wonder of who He is and what He has done. And Lord, for any who are without Christ this morning, please speak to their hearts. Bring them to faith. Give them the gift of eternal life. And dear Father, for each one of us, that we would be brought again to see and to love, to comprehend a little more of the wonder of our great salvation. Help me, Lord, today as your messenger to speak the Word of God faithfully and clearly. I pray these things now in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. In our services the last number of weeks, we have been thinking upon the word behold or look as it has reference to our Lord Jesus in His person and His work, what He came to do. And today, I want us to think about beholding the man of sorrows, beholding the man of sorrows, and we're looking at Lamentations 1 and verse number 12. Let me give you by way of introduction a little illustration. Recently, uh, there was in Las Vegas the Super Bowl that was the really the final game of the NFL, the National Football League, and it's a huge event. Uh, 
It's a huge event for the players, the teams, but it's a huge event for those people who are advertisers. And the advertisers, well, they realize that we can actually present our product to more people in one sitting than we can virtually do in the entire year of advertising. And so this is a big thing to them. But of course, also, it's a big thing to the promoters, the NFL, those people who have control of that name, and they realize that there's a big price tag connected with this. So that the companies, they will pay, and they did pay out recently, 7 million US dollars, 9.5 million Canadian, for a whopping 30 seconds of advertising. Now that comes down to $317,000 per second of advertising. It's a good bit of coin. And uh, the reason behind it, well, they realize and they're hoping that there will be great income brought to their company from their advertisement. Now, you could imagine the disappointment of the advertising department if people, when those advertisements started, if they began to clip their fingernails, uh, went out and did the laundry, or some other mundane thing, and they did not pay any attention to those very important ads, Maybe if the ad manager could get hold of you, he might say, wait a minute, do you not understand how much this cost? Do you not get it that it took us a lot of money beyond the seven million to advertise for these 30 seconds? We had to pay for the advertising company to produce the ad. How many millions that was, not quite sure. But this very slick ad, you've just ignored it. You don't pay any attention to it. You know, there's nothing worse for an advertiser to not get the attention of the people he's trying to win them to buy the product, either because the people think, well, this commercial annoys me, I'm not interested in it, disinterested, and of course, no interest in the product is fatal for the success of the company. But friends, all we're talking about here is commerce talking about profit numbers, talking about market placement. Those things are important for economics and profit, but what about the matter of your eternal soul? What happens one moment after you die and meet God? What will you say about a life lived with no interest in the person of Jesus Christ? And that you were, well, quite frankly, too distracted by a thousand other things, and you were not interested in Christ. Now understand this. I'm not talking about a 30-second a ad that has virtually zero effect or importance on a life. But I'm talking about the Son of God and His death on the cross. 
this is of monumental importance. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow. Now, yes, we know that Jeremiah was writing about the devastation of Jerusalem at the hands of the enemies. And in chapter 1, verse 8, we are told that Jerusalem has grievously sinned. And in their grievous sin of idolatry and rebellion, God allowed the enemy to come in and take over and run roughshod, destroying the city, the temple, leaving it all in ruins. And Jeremiah himself is justifiably grieved when he looks and sees the carnage and the ruin of the city. And part of his lament is the fact that no one seemed to care. They, in the other hand, rejoiced at all the devastation. Such a high price had been paid for their sin. Yet there is here one of the most descriptive prophecies of the suffering and the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of the Old Testament. We cannot read this verse without being inexorably drawn toward the cross of Calvary and beholding the scene there and thinking of the varying views of all the people that witnessed that event. They were at Jerusalem at that time. Maybe they were passing through. Maybe they were involved in business transactions in that area. Israel was a very important corridor for trade. And many caravans of people came from one nation to another nation, bringing all their wares. Maybe there were traveling salesmen coming through Jerusalem just at that time when Christ was at the epoch of His suffering. There were others who were there. They were the, the religious leaders of the day. There were those who had been healed by the Lord Jesus in the times He was teaching in their villages on the hillside, and He was healing them. Those people were there. They viewed the events. I want to press this verse upon you today. I want to press this verse upon you and encourage you to think deeply about beholding the Lamb of God the man of sorrows, beholding, my dear friends, the innocent one who suffered and died in the place of sinners. Yes, Jerusalem was in that state because of their own sin, but not so with Christ. For He is without sin and yet was punished for my sin and for yours today. First thought I leave with you is this, to behold the man of sorrows, the anguish of the Savior. 
Is there any sorrow like unto my sorrow? When the soldier pierced the side of the lifeless body of Jesus as he hung upon the cross, John records that blood and water flowed out. Now, what was the significance of this being mentioned? And why did the blood and the water flow out? My friend, was it not to show that the blood of Christ flowed out from His heart? And as the blood of Christ flowed out from His heart, it was that fountain and flowing of atonement that would wash away the sins of those who would come to Him in repentance, seeking forgiveness. And I am thankful today for the blood of Christ, for it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And so that lesson and message that God was teaching throughout all of the Old Testament sacrifices, they all converged upon the Lamb of God. They all converged upon Christ as He was hanging on the cross and there shed His blood. And what did that soldier do? He was doing his job. The commandment was to go and to break the legs of the others, the other two who were there, because it was the day of preparation of the Jews, and they could not have anyone hanging on a cross. And so they went back to Pilate and said, go and take them down from the cross. And so they wanted to hurry their death by breaking the legs of the other two thieves so that they would no longer be able to support themselves on the cross and they would very quickly die of asphyxiation. But when the soldier came to the Lord Jesus, to his surprise, to Pilate's surprise, to the Jews' surprise, he was dead already. But just to be certain that he was doing his job, the soldier plunged that spear into his side and out flowed blood and water. The blood we can see clearly shows us it was given for the redemption of our souls, for the washing away of our sin, to make atonement to his heavenly Father in place of my sin. And so, as my sin is placed upon Him, His blood has washed me from my transgression. But why the water flowing out from the side of Christ as well? Water is the fluid of life. Without water, we could not survive very many days. And water speaks to us of that which is life-giving. And so as Christ Himself is the fountain of living water, what did He say to the woman at the well? If you drink of the water that I will give you, you will never thirst again. He wasn't talking about physical water from an earthly well. He was talking about spiritual life. 
the life-giving flow that comes from Christ himself. And does that not indicate when the water flowed out from Christ? It is the water of life for us. It is everlasting life that we have through him. Ah, believer today, rejoice that God has so opened your heart to this truth. Rejoice that you have been drinking at the fountain of living water, and you will never thirst again. Because once you have taken Christ into your life, there is nothing and no one that can replace him or that can better him. Let us dwell much and richly upon the truth. Oh, I ask you, friend, today, have you been drinking or have you taken that drink of Christ yet? Are you covered in his blood? Have you taken the water of everlasting life as that gift that he gives? Various physicians and medical reports suggests that the case of the blood and water coming out from the side of Christ was a case of what is called stress-induced cardiomyopathy. Now, in simple terms, it simply stands for a broken heart. A broken heart. We know that the life of Christ was not taken from him. Sometimes people analyze, well, what exactly caused the death of Christ? Was it the fact that blood drained from his body? Was it the fact that the sword has pierced his side and finally terminated his life? Did he die of stress? Did he die indeed of a broken heart? All of those questions must be put in the right category because Christ Jesus did not have his life taken from him, but he gave up his life. Don't miss this truth. He gave up his own spirit, we are told, on the very cross. Christ said these words, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Now, these verses of Scripture are powerful, and they tell us conclusively that the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Creator and Giver of life, is the one who gave His own life. And it was not taken from Him. Could we say that Jesus died with a broken heart? Isaiah speaks, as we have read in the 53rd chapter, of the Lord being a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But why such grief and deep heart sorrow? We are told that Jesus was despised and rejected of men. The Lord himself said that the stone which the builders, the Jewish people, 
the stone which the builders have rejected, the same, that same stone is become the headstone of the corner. In other words, Christ Himself that was rejected by His own people is indeed the foundation of eternal life. Jesus said as He came into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that were sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, but ye would not. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. John tells us that he was in the world and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. And He came unto His own, and His own people received Him not. And the Lord Himself said, They have hated Me without a cause. Was the Lord of a broken heart? I want to show you that as we behold the man of sorrows, he had a solitary sorrow, a solitary. He suffered alone for our redemption. Ultimately, all the suffering that he endured throughout his life Oh yes, others witnessed it, and in some degree the disciples felt the reverberations of that sorrow, and they were also rejected as He was rejected. And as they called Him a liar, they would call the disciples liars and deceivers, and all that is true. But when we think about the Lord Himself, He suffered among sinful people as He lived His life. He was without sin, and so to endure communication and to endure commerce with those, it was a point of suffering for Him. But as He came near to the cross, and He was alone in Gethsemane, His three disciples He took with Him a distance, and then He went and removed Himself alone praying unto the Father. And in that time of agony, as He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, He was there alone. Blood began to ooze from His pores. And the blood, His own blood mixed with His sweat, was dropping down on the ground. And at that point, He says to His Father, Oh, Father, if it were possible, let this cup pass from me. And then immediately he said, Not my will, Lord, but thy will be done. A heart that was very heavy, suffering alone. Yes, there were two thieves crucified with Christ. At the same time he was there on the hill called Golgotha outside the city walls of Jerusalem. But those were guilty men, guilty of at least thievery, 
if not more. We were told in one of the Gospels that Barabbas was also a thief. But in the other Gospel, we're told that he was guilty of subversion of the government and guilty of murder in that. So, Barabbas was a murderer, insurrection, and a thief. So, let's not think that the two thieves on the cross were simply thieves. There was a life of crime whereby they were being executed. They were there, but Christ was bearing our sin upon Him alone. He suffered as no other person has ever suffered because He suffered an innocent man dying to take the punishment of others upon Him. And you have at some time in your life been accused of something that you never did, and you feel such an affront of that. How could someone dare say that I I lied to them? I did not lie. And you feel the great affront of being charged wrongly or falsely. How then can you imagine the Lord Jesus? But there He is, suffering alone, on Calvary, no one else to help him bear the sins of the world, the sins of all his people. But I say to you, it was also a substitutionary suffering that our Lord Jesus endured. Peter tells us that Christ has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. The sorrow and the anguish of our Lord came to a climax on the cross, for it was there that our sins were transferred unto Him. It was there that He drank the entire cup of all of our sin. The innocent Lamb, there He bore my burden to Calvary, and there He suffered and He died alone. You know, our Lord's nature was so totally alien to sin so that when God the Father poured out His wrath upon Him for sin, upon His only begotten Son, we are told by the Apostle Paul that He made Him to be sin for us, He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him or through Him. And so great marvel and wonder, the innocent, the Lamb of God, has borne my sin upon Him, and God was pleased to bruise Him. He was pleased to judge Him instead of judging me, instead of condemning me. When we consider and try to comprehend what it means to have a capacity to suffer, a capacity to suffer. It's based, is it not, on the level of our understanding. It's based on the level of our comprehension. So, for example, a cat would necessarily suffer more than a fish because one is warm-blooded, the other is cold-blooded. Both are part of the animal kingdom, though. And yet when we we think of a man 
being a human being, He is not an animal. We are not animals. Human beings are different from the animal world, and so the idea of us suffering and understanding and having the capacity to suffer more than a cat, it's not hard for us to gather that up in our minds. But Christ being God has an infinite knowledge. And therefore, His capacity for suffering becomes so intensified that we cannot begin to understand even the physical, let alone the spiritual dimension of His suffering. Friends, let that sink down into your mind, your heart, for a moment today. Is there any sorrow like unto my sorrow? Mr. Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon, said this, that his Godhead gave him an infinite capacity and infused a boundless degree of compensation into all the pangs or pains that he bore. You have no more idea of what Christ suffered in his soul than you have when you would take a shell with a drop of seawater in it and then endeavor to guess from that the area of the boundless and bottomless sea. What Christ suffered is utterly inconceivable. He suffered and died there alone for you and for me. And so the question, is there any sorrow like unto my sorrow? It really becomes a rhetorical question, which means that the answer is in the asking of the question. The suffering of Christ cannot be measured by any human calculation. And so it was a solitary suffering. It was, my dear friends, a substitutionary suffering. But I say to you, it was a satisfactory sacrifice. What do I mean by satisfactory? Well, was it satisfying to me? Well, most definitely satisfying to me because I trust and know by faith that my sins were placed upon Him and now I'm free and I have the gift of eternal life. But that actually becomes a secondary matter because if it is not primarily satisfactorily to God in heaven, then whether I'm satisfied or not becomes redundant. Oh, my friend, in the foremost place, the sacrifice of my Lord Jesus was satisfying to His Father in heaven, which could not be satisfied with anything less than a perfect sacrifice. The Lord Jesus satisfied all the demands of a perfect stainless steel law. It was without mark. The law is perfect. 
You know, when sometimes in the New Testament people say and read about the law being this or the law being that, the idea behind it, they think, well, there's something flawed in the law. No, the law is not without, is, is not without, has any flaw to it. It is flawless. It is perfect. Because the law represents the perfection of God. And as the Lord is perfect, so the law reflects that perfection. The problem is that you and I are imperfect as we are measured against the law of God. We can't add up. And our Lord Jesus satisfied completely all the demands of the law of God. For He said, No man, accuseth me of any sin or fault. The Lord Jesus satisfied completely the justice and the holiness and the righteousness of His Father. And in so doing that, He has placed that on my account. So that satisfaction then becomes my personal satisfaction. And you know what else it does in that? It satisfies and silences my guilty heart. Now, sometimes this is a little bit difficult because the devil wants to come and stir up our sins against us, doesn't he? But if we know the evidence and truth of justifying grace, we'll be able to silence those words the devil brings against us because they are empty and worthless. They are without power. When he tries to accuse us of some past sins, we will say, what sins are you talking about? God has cast them away into the depths of his sea. They're gone. And so they are gone for us forever. And that, that gives to me, for my one-time guilt-ridden heart, I'm free of guilt now. There is... Therefore, now, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And the evidence of you being in Christ Jesus, you will walk by the Spirit. You will not walk by the flesh. And it silences all of the accusations of the devil against us, for he is the accuser of the brethren. But the devil has no more words against us once Christ Satisfaction has been put to our account. And all oh, my friend today, the sorrow of Christ was for us. And His broken heart was for us. How then? How then today do we respond as His children, as His people? Do we go about our life giving a thought only to the cross when we meet around the communion table? Or do we think about the cross and our salvation not just weekly or monthly, but daily and hourly? And let that be the thing that consumes and directs our, our life, our thinking processes. Let us measure all of our life in the light of Calvary, let us measure all of our being and existence and purpose in the light of what our Lord has done for us. Because there is no sorrow like unto His sorrow, and there is no joy like unto His joy 
and that joy which He gives to us. And so today, as we think and meditate upon this and prepare our hearts as we will come shortly around His table, may the Lord bless His Word to your heart. Friend, if you're without the Lord Jesus this morning, right where you are sitting, you can pray and call out to the Lord to have mercy upon your soul as you repent of your sin. I encourage you today. I say, don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't say tomorrow, some other time. I pray that you will come through for and with the Lord today. As we come to the service tonight, in part two of the message, I want us to really focus on the responses that people have to the Lord and the cross and what that all means to them. Let's bow, please, in prayer. Father, write this word upon our hearts this morning. And though we may know the words of themselves well enough, I pray that the depth of meaning would settle into our minds and you would give us today a little more comprehension, a little more understanding, Father. Pour out your Spirit upon us now. Bless us as we gather around the table for those who cannot remain, those who are unsaved. Lord, bless them today as they go and write your truth upon their minds. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 128. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of Man who came. We'll stand pleased to sing. If you cannot remain for our communion time, please feel free to leave any time through this hymn.